Pastor Greg's in uh, preaching in Monroe this morning, by the way. He didn't want to just skip out on Pastor Matt. Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you, the youth get to hear him all the time. But adults, this man, mighty man, carries a special anointing. And I'll just say, it's not always easy to find youth pastors that you can trust 110% with your kids all of the time. But I know and I honor the gift that's in this young man of God. And when he speaks, he is speaking straight from the throne room. And he pours of himself into each of these youth. And I know they respect him and they honor him. And so, youth, I'm going to ask y'all to do something right now. I want y'all to stand to your feet and we're going to honor Pastor Matt. Are y'all ready? Here we go. Go. One, two, three. Woohoo! Mighty man! Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, so I do get to speak to the youth a lot, so they've heard bits and pieces of this uh, just because kind of basically when you start realizing, you start looking through Scripture, you'll find as many connections as you're looking for, and you start realizing how much of it is connected. But before we get started, let's just pray one more time. I know we prayed a bunch, but you can never talk to God too much, right? So, Father, we just want to thank you for the reminder today that through all of eternity, you have said that you've done your part so that we can walk out our part. And so as we just learn with you today and spend some time with you this morning, that your spirit would go out and it would touch our lives and it would change the way that we think about you, the way that we see you, and the way that we interact with every person that we come into contact with. We thank you for your word and we thank you that it is true. In Jesus' name, amen. So I actually want to do something that's a little bit different for me. I like to preach and yell to the youth a little bit, even though it's not really all that loud because I'm not a loud person. But I get excited. They give me a microphone and they love it. Uh, I want to say this. I have like a half of a chapter and two more verses. So if you're in my youth, they're thinking like, oh, gosh, this is going to be like 3 o'clock. <laughs> Hope you brought a lunch. It's going to be good. <laughs> oh, nobody? Nobody was prepared? <laughs> Y'all didn't think God wanted to just keep doing what he wanted? Okay, it's cool. We'll talk with him. It'll be all right. So actually, I want to, uh, I want to do a little bit more teaching than preaching in the beginning. So anybody out there would consider yourself maybe a Bible scholar? No? No, nobody's a Bible scholar? Okay, well, that's, that makes it easy for me. So you probably won't say I'm wrong. It's okay. All right, so one of the things that we do know from growing up, I mean, if you grew up in church or you've been around for any length of time, is that Genesis is the beginning, right? And so we talk about Genesis. It is the beginning. It's at the very beginning of the book. It lays out the very beginning. It starts with, in the beginning. You can't get any more beginning than Genesis. Correct? Now, I don't have time to go through the entire creation, but you guys know about creation, right? You heard that story once or twice? Okay, I want to summarize it for you because I don't know if you guys have thought about it like me and you've read through the creation story and you've read some more in the Bible and you've kind of had some questions about it or maybe like, what is he trying to say here? What does this mean? How is it related? And so if you will help me recall the days of creation as it's listed in chapter one, I've summarized it for you so we don't have to read the whole thing. But in chapter one, in day one, God says, let there be light. Right? So he makes light and he makes dark and he calls them day and night. And it was evening and it was morning, day one. Right? That's how it reads. And so then you get into day two and he made the skies and the waters. And that's all you have. You have the separation between the sky and the water that is just there. And that's day two. Y'all with me so far? Y'all remember some of this? Okay. So day three, the waters separate and land shows up. And then the land brings forth vegetation. 
all in day three. Okay, day four. Anybody know what happens in day four? It's okay, I'm going to tell you. Okay, so day four, he creates the sun, the moon, the stars, and he puts these lights, and he talks about how he's got a greater one to govern the day and a lesser one to govern the night, and you got night and day and stars. But then there's something that unique happens here, and I've kind of missed this a lot going through it. God actually sets the days and the stars so that we could keep track of time. So often we think that time is a man-made construct. Actually, no, God created time because he knew that as humans, we would need something to order ourselves by. And if you pay attention in this, you're going to understand that ordering things and ordering creation is all part of a bigger plan that he's trying to lay out in the very first chapter of the first book that he ever had written down to you. So he creates the sun, the moon, the stars, and he says, hey, you're going to be able to keep track of time and make a calendar and order yourself by these things. So it's important. It seems not so, but it is. Day five, we have sea life, everything in the waters, and the waters teeming with life and things like that, and birds, which I thought was kind of interesting. It's not all land creatures. It's everything in the sea, everything that can be in the sea, everything that swims, all the life in the sea, and then birds. And that's day five. Interesting, right? And then day six, that's where all the land creatures come in, including us as humans, correct? Y'all remember this story vaguely a little bit? Okay, so that is the six days of creation. That's actually where chapter one cuts off. Technically, chapter two picks up on the seventh day. And on the seventh day, we know that God looked at all that he had created, said that it was good, and he rested and made that day holy. All right, y'all with me? Okay, cool. So now we can jump into the important stuff in chapter 2. Chapter 2 is actually where I want to pick up. This is where I do have a little bit of some scripture. Like I said, I'm going to teach you guys some things, hopefully. So we can't teach unless we got some material, right? So we need to look at some things because when you read chapter 2, I don't know how many of you guys have read chapter 1 and then chapter 2 like immediately. It makes you ask some questions. Because at first glance, it seems different. Very different. And you don't have much to go off of because you only have one chapter. You got six days and one chapter, and then it jumps into chapter two. So if I could, if you guys would just bear with me a little bit, we'll read some of the word from Genesis chapter two. I'm going to read verses four through ten. And it's kind of important because, again, this is, uh, this is kind of the origin story of us, right? So if you'll go ahead and put Genesis chapter two, verses four through ten up. It says this. Do we have it? There we go. It says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and from there it was separated into four headwaters. And it goes in to talk about the headwaters, and there's a little bit more there. But if you read chapter 2, it starts off and it says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth and when they were created. And the very first thing it mentions is what? Y'all weren't listening? Y'all lost it? What happened? So the very first thing it mentions 
It says that there's no shrub, no plant, there had nothing been made. It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then he starts doing other things. So if you read this after you read chapter one, you say, wait a minute. No, no, no. That can't be how it went, because in chapter one, he said that he brought forth the land and then some shrubs and then the fish and the birds and then living creatures and then people. So in one chapter, we've got some things that don't seem to make sense. It's a, it seems like it's a different story. It's all in a different order. And sometimes we're reading through Genesis and I feel like we're trying to say, OK, well, how was the earth created? How did God do this? What did it look like? If it was day one, day two, day three, day four, then it couldn't have been different. And so that leads me to tell you the title of my message. And that is, what's the point? If You guys can go ahead and throw up that title slide. I want to give a shout out to my wife. She made this for me because she's more better graphically than I am. So it looks pretty good. I like it. What's the point? What's the point? I didn't tell her anything about what it was about. I just said, here's the title. Can you make a slide for it? And she was like, yeah. And this is what I saw. And I was like, you know what? Works for me. It looks great. Better than I could do. So what's the point? Because often when I've read through Genesis, especially the creation story, and even through one of my college classes, I'm a little bit weird. Right. Most people like took some different sciences. I took geology one and two and I really liked it. <laughs> it was weird. Like what'd you learn about rocks and the earth and like stuff like that. And this guy, uh, he talked about some stuff and a lot of people that said they were Christians got real mad and they were like, I can't believe he said that the Bible says this. And I was like, well, if you just listen to what he's saying, it actually doesn't disprove anything. It tells you how awesome God is that he ordered all of that and science can't disprove it. If you really look at it, they can't disprove it. They can't say that it didn't happen that way. They just don't know how it happened. Why? Because they weren't there. <laughs> there was nothing and then there was something and they can't bridge that gap. Why? Because it takes some faith to do that. So what's the point of the creation story? Well, when you get to chapter two, you realize that God switches gears on this story. It's not that it's a whole different story. It's that the focus shifts. What you have to understand, though, is that we read Genesis as a modern day, like very scientific community. We want to know exactly how, what, when, what did he say? How did he do it? What dust did he grab? All this kind of stuff. And realistically, when you get down to what's the point, it didn't even matter because you have to think back to who this was written to. It was not written to today's time. It was written to the ancient, ancient Hebrews, the ones that God had created. It was to tell them where they had come from. And there were things that ancient Jews, uh, excuse me, ancient Jews understood that didn't have to be written down because it was understood that they knew that. First of all, it doesn't really talk a whole lot about who God is and that God is there because they all understood that God is who he says he is and he is the creator. And it didn't matter how he did it. What mattered is how we got here. And so the origin story, when they talk about Genesis in day one, there's all kinds of theology and theories on like, you know, was it, was it really one day? Was it a thousand years? You know, because God says one day is like a thousand years. Who really knows? But the point is not about exactly like, can we say that on day one this happened? That's not even the point of creation. He's trying to communicate an idea starting in Genesis, that he's still trying to communicate to you today. You can read Genesis to Revelation, you'll pick up, it's still the same point. You have an encounter with Jesus, it's still exactly the same thing that he's been trying to set up as he started the entire world. He's got a point that he's trying to make to you. And first of all, I've got to just kind of summarize some things. There's a whole lot of stuff that went into this, by the way. I, uh, I got some like 
basically like it's Bible college, but I'm not going to Bible college. It's great. Um, so I'm trying to condense like, I don't know, several hours of learning into right now. So <laughs> it's, it's been great. Like it really opened my eyes to see some things. And first of all, when it talks about in Genesis chapter 2, the way that he made the man and then he placed him in the garden. And the garden had a special name at this point. It wasn't named in chapter 1. He calls it Eden. Right, the Garden of Eden, right? Everybody's with me so far? Okay, good, because I'm still setting up the foundation. This is where we start. Okay, so the Garden of Eden is on the planet, and he puts the man in the garden. You with me? Big planet, smaller garden, one person. Yeah, got that? Now, what we often miss is all the parallels and all the connections and everything that ties all together all throughout Scripture because God wanted to paint a picture. We just, sometimes we complicate it. It's exactly the same setup as the original tabernacle and into the temple of God. You have the outer courts, the inner courts, and then the Holy of Holies where the image of God is placed. And so from the very beginning in chapter 2, he says, look, there's this big picture. There's the outer courts where everyone's at. There's this inside where you're in the garden and it's so much nicer and sweeter and there's all kinds of stuff. And then you get down to the one thing that's there and that is the image of God that I've placed and that is the man that I created because he is my image. Image. He is the example of the God that is, that is this temple. This entire temple, the whole world, is the temple of God. And at the very center of it, he says people should be there. Human beings should be there. I put Adam there. Why? Because he is my image, and the whole thing is about me connecting with him. Y'all with me? Okay, that's step one. <laughs> that's step one. And it's so much deeper than that. Because what this is saying is not only is, is like, it's not saying that man is super important. No, what it's saying is that we are the image bearers. We are the idol, if you want, of God, which means that in a temple, like if you take any temple, an ancient temple or whatever, in the, the innermost place, which in the biblical temples is the Holy of Holies. I'm not going to call any other temple the Holy of Holies because they're wrong. So in the Holy of Holies is where God's presence resided and it was what we set in place to be an example, an icon, an idol, an image of that God, right? So we are that image. So now we get into some things here. It says that he created the man and then it talks about the trees and it talks about the trees that he could eat from. It talks about the river that flowed through the garden. Now that's important. Now I want to show you something else in, chap in chapter 2 still, but we're going to go through 15 through 24. So I'm going to get through this scripture and then we can really get moving. Everybody still good? I'm kind of excited. It's a lot of, lot of information. I'm sorry. But it's good. It's good stuff. So hopefully you, you stick with me. So the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. It's a pretty big sign. All right. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. Pay attention to this part. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave name to all the livestock, the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. 
And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So if you'll notice here, there's, there's one thing that's happening. It says that God created the animals. Weirdly, though, God created things and didn't name them. Like, think about that. If you made something or created something, actually, not made, but if you created something, you would kind of have a purpose in mind for creating it, wouldn't you? Because that's how your brain, that's how our brains work. If we want to create something, it's for a specific purpose. So we already knew that. But God is beyond us and beyond our logic. He actually creates things and says for it to happen, and it happened. And then one of the coolest things that we don't even pay attention to, he actually sends the animals to the man and says, you tell me what they're supposed to do. You tell me what they're supposed to do. What are we supposed to call these things? They're, they've all been made, but I'm relying on you. I'm going to bring them to you, and you tell me what they are. Think about that. The creator God who had all of this already visioned out, saw the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, said, look, I've created these things, but I need you to give them purpose because without you, they're just things. I don't know what they are because I need you to fulfill what I've placed you here for. And this is the first time that we really see that probably King James really failed us because it just says create. There's actually two Hebrew words that are used right here. One of them means to create. And one of them means to make. There's a difference. There's a difference. When you create something, it means it had never existed before. And you've made something that has not existed. That is a creation. Right? Does that make sense? So from your mind to a thing, that's creation. When you make something, you take things that already are and you turn them into something else with a specific purpose. And the actual Hebrew words are asa and bera just in case you wanted to know. One of them means to create and one of them means to make. Now, the coolest thing about God when he's writing, when he's having this written down, is that the Hebrews understood that when God created in chapter 1 and it says that he created, that's create. That is create. When he brings the creatures to the man and begins to ask the man to take care of the garden and the, and the creatures and all of that and give them purpose and give them name, that is to make. Because God was making a connection here that, yes, you are my idol. You are my image. So here's what I'm going to ask. Now you are going to be like me and not only just be like me, you're actually going to co-create with me. I've made this to where you can constantly create with me because that's how we were designed to do this together. And so what that word actually means, if you get down into the, the real, like what would it mean for people? It is to order the creation that God had made. I told you the order thing was kind of important. So God says, look, I've created this, but I need you to help me order it. I want to co-create with you. I'm not trying to say in chapter two that I am the creator and everything bows at my word and you have to do what is right and nothing has a choice. I'm saying in chapter two that I know you intimately and I want you to do this with me. It's not about how powerful I am. It's about the relationship that we have. And if we can make it together, then it becomes ours. And it's not just mine. It's a thing that we both inhabit. And if you look at the garden, that's exactly what happened. In chapter 3, you see this picture of we have the fall, right, where you have the serpent. He comes in. He talks to him. Side note, by the way, 
in case you ever want, I, I talked to the youth about this a while back. When the serpent actually comes to Eve and he talks to her, we like to say that he deceived Eve. If you really read it, Eve's the only one that actually lied, <laughs> just in case you're wondering. It's really weird. Just let that sink in for a minute. What did he do? He said this, and this is important. I want you to grasp this. And what I was trying to show the youth with this. He didn't outright lie. What he said was, did God really say this? And what that did is every doubt that they had began to just flip and say, wait a minute, what did God really say? And they doubted the connection that they had already had with God who was walking with them and said, hey, I want to co-create. I want to order things with you. And they forgot for a moment that it was them supposed to be the image of God and not God was reflecting them. Satan hasn't changed his tactic. He's not going to just outright come out to you and be like, hi, I'm Satan and I want you to do stuff that's against Jesus. Like that doesn't work. <laughs> just in case you were wondering, that doesn't work. Okay. No, what happens is he says, well, did God really say this? Does the Bible really say this? Do you really think this is how it is? Did he really say this? And that's what he said to Eve. Did God really say that you would die? Because Eve said this. He said, well, what did God say about the tree? And she said, hey, you can't eat from it or touch it or you would surely die. God never said you couldn't touch the tree. She added that part in because she didn't understand the whole purpose of what God was trying to tell them. And so then you end up with the fall. But one of the things that we see is God in Eden was able to walk around and talk with them and hang out with them. And he was there. And we know that because after this whole interaction with the serpent, then they hear God coming and they freak out because they know that they have broken the relationship and the connection that was made between them. And it's why God asks, where are you? It's not that he didn't know, but for the first time he felt the connection of their relationship break. And he said, where are you? Because you're not the same as when I left as you are now. And it was about the breaking of connection. Y'all still with me? Again, this, this is kind of deep, I know. But it's the whole purpose of this. So after that, we know that God walked around in the garden. So what we can say about Eden is this. Is it something really cool? And you probably don't even realize it, but I can make this make sense in a modern way. Anybody's a Marvel, Marvel fan? Anybody? Oh, like three people. Cool. You guys don't watch movies or nothing? Jeez. Tough crowd today. So Marvel, you know, the superheroes, you got Spider-Man and you got Iron Man and you got Thor and you got Batman, right? Okay, exactly. There's more Marvel fans in here than I thought because y'all, there was more of you that said no than raised your hands. Okay, you're with me. So you got all these people from Marvel. Now, one of the, like, probably, I'm going to say the weirdest ones is if you've been keeping up with the Marvel Universe, like, as of recent movies, you got Doctor Strange. The stuff he does is really strange. I mean, it's appropriately named, right? But one thing that we see in those movies, if you've seen them, cool. If not, well, hopefully I don't ruin it for you, but I'm going to talk about it anyways. So one thing that Doctor Strange does is he opens up these things that we call what? Anybody know? A portal. Whoa. It's a portal. So what does that portal do for Doctor Strange? It takes you from one place to another. It's a place now where there is a thing that... There was a barrier, now there's not, and you can go from this place to that place. Does that make sense? You're with me? A portal. In any manner of the word that you want to talk about it, a portal is a place where one thing connects to another, and going through that connects you to that place. Dr. Strange didn't invent these. God did. 
God did. Eden was a portal where God and the heavens could actually come into earth and earth and the images of God could actually be with God. It is a portal for God and humanity to actually coexist and be there together. Okay, I thought, I thought it was cool. <laughs> it's a portal. It's a place where human and God can actually interact when at this point, when sin enters, we know that the Bible talks about sin and there becomes a problem that the rest of the book is actually made to fix, starting at chapter 3. So you've got three chapters before and then every other chapter is how we fix the problem. So it's important that we fix this problem because the portal was supposed to be there. You were supposed to connect with God. You were supposed to be with Him. He was supposed to be with you and walk around and talk with you and you could hear Him coming and see Him coming and hang out with Him and eat fruit with Him. But because we decided that God should be more like us than we should be like Him, we allowed Satan to deceive us and we fell into sin and we broke the relationship and then God said, look, I love you so much that I have to leave. When you get into chapter three and he kicks him out of the garden, it's not because he's mad at him or he hates them now for sin. No, it's because of sin. And he said, look, if I stay here, you will die. And it's not that the death was a punishment that he just wanted to do. Like you did this, you messed up, I'm going to kill you. That's not what he says. He says, look, you couldn't eat of this fruit because you would certainly die. Not that you would die in an instant, but the moment that you entertain the sin, the moment that the connection is broken, sin enters your life. And now I can't be with you unless there is something that happens. And the only repentance of sin is bloodshed. So the only way that I can stay with you is for you to die. And I have bigger plans for you. I've made you to be my image. I've made you to co-create with me. So to fix this, I actually have to go and I have to close this portal for now. God doesn't kick them out of the garden alone. He actually has to leave. And it was his temple. He can no longer stay there because of the love that he has for people. Kicking them out of the garden was not saying, I don't love you or you need to be away from me. It was, I love you so much, we can't both stay here because it won't be good for you. That kind of changed my whole way of looking at this when it got to that point. So, wow, that's, uh, that's deep. Because I always kind of wondered, you know, why, why did God kick them out of the garden? Why couldn't they be there? And it's because it was a portal that was open. And if it would have stayed open, they would have died. And that would have been the end of all of the creation that he had planned. He said, no, I've got a bigger plan than that. So what's the point? What's the point? God says, look, I got to leave. You have to leave. But you, you, you're still my creation. You're still everything that I wanted. You are still to co-create with me. So you know what? I've got a plan. And the rest of the book is the plan. Leading up to now, we can look at it in a different way than the ancient Jews could look at it. They had to look for the plan. They had to look for the man that was supposed to come to fix this because they couldn't have connection. They couldn't have relationship with God. How do we fix this? Now, we are on the other side with Jesus. I want to show you some things about Jesus in the book of John. So if you'll take me to John chapter 14. Verses 6 through 7. And this was Jesus, by the way. Jesus said this. So if you've got to get a cool Bible, it'll be in red. And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. 
Jesus. We talk about it all the time, but we miss the connection, right? Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. What does that mean? That means Jesus is a place where God and humanity can now connect. So you see this parallel again from Genesis over in John with Jesus. And he's saying to these Jews who knew the Bible and knew the point of what was there, knew the point that God wanted relationship. And he says, look, I am God and I am man. I am the way that you connect through him. I am the new portal that you've been looking for. And if you see me, you see him. If you talk with me, you talk with him. If you're with me, if you love me, you love him. You know my father because you know me. We are the same. And now I am connecting you with him. Then he goes a step further in John. And what's crazy is he actually said this next part before he told them, hey, I'm the portal. You ready for this? Let me recap some things. In the garden, what watered the trees? It was a river. It was a river of living water that, that fed these trees and kept them alive. If you know anything about the Bible and you know about Revelation and John's revelation of heaven, what does he say it's in heaven? It's a river of living water that flows. You catching a theme here? In Genesis, Revelation, that's the end and the beginning. There's a river of life that feeds the things. Here's your connection. Here's the whole point. What's the point? Here it is. God says this. When Jesus opens his mouth in chapter 7 of John... In verse 37 and 38, he said this. This was during a festival which was important to the Jews. This is not something that anyone would have interrupted, ever. Jesus interrupts because he has a more important message and a more important reason for being there. And he realizes that the festival, it was the festival of tabernacles actually, is super important. There's a whole lot to it. I don't have time for that. But it says this, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. He doesn't say it's just from me. The whole purpose of this festival of tabernacles, the last day, was this big thing with water. And I don't know if you guys know, but water is super important in the whole Bible. I mean, it's important for us too. But when water is talked about, it's not just like, oh, there was water. Oh, cool. You should probably look into why is this water mentioned. If it's mentioned, it's important. So one of the things that they did when Jesus was there, this was after they had left Egypt, right? After them coming out of Egypt. And if you know anything about the Israelites leaving Egypt, there was a time where they were traveling through the desert, so there's no water. And God said to Moses, hey, hit this rock and water is going to flow from it. In honor of that, in the biggest drought of the year in the Middle East, they had a festival where they on purpose would dump a whole lot of their water just for the entire purpose of saying if God did it for them, then he can do it again. And this is our reminder that we will go ahead and release some of the water that we have that is precious to us as an offering to God and say, God, you know what? The water is not important, but what you do and how you take care of us is more important. So we will let our most important resource actually flow out as an offering. And so this was one of the most sacred days. And Jesus interrupts the festival and says, look, listen, if you are thirsty, then you can come and drink from me because I have a river of living water that doesn't dry out. It doesn't run out. It never runs empty. And guess what? The best part is if you believe in me and you say that you believe in me, then rivers of living water begin to flow out of you. 
So what does that mean? Anybody catching the point yet? No? If rivers of water will flow from you, it means that anyone who is thirsty, anyone who is searching after God, anyone who's looking for the answer, they don't have to connect to a church. They don't have to connect to an altar. They don't have to connect to any minister or any man or any woman. They don't have to connect to anything except for a portal to God. And if rivers of living water flow from you, you are the portal. They don't have to go anywhere but come to you because that's the entire purpose of why you were created. You were supposed to be a stand-in for God. You bear the image of God. You have the river of living water flowing through you. So if they get to you, they get to God. If they can get to you, they can get to God. That's the entire purpose. What's the point of all of creation? What's the point of Genesis to Revelation? It is to remind you that you have a river of living water that flows from your heart. And if they can connect to you, you will give them life. And they will surely not die because they will see God and know God. Because where you are, that's where he dwells. That's the point of the Bible. So when we look at this thing, we've got to start reading this thing different. What is the point? What does it mean? It can't just be so simple. No, the point is that Jesus said, I love you so much. I need you so much. If you do this with me, it's going to be easy. It flows from you. You don't work for the water. It's not that you have to ask for it. He says, if you believe in me, this will happen. Right? That's what he said. He said, Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, so he's not even saying just me. God actually said this. I'm backing up what God's saying, and it's been tried and it's been tested that rivers of living water will flow from within you. You were created to be a portal. So sometimes people, you know, nowadays they're looking for Eden or they're looking for the ark or whatever, and they're looking for this place. The best part is that place doesn't have to be found to prove that God exists because even though Eden was great, and it was, I mean, think about it. They didn't have to do anything. God actually kept all of the land how it was supposed to be. They didn't have to work for anything. They could just go hang out with God, eat fruit. The animals would come to them, do whatever they needed. I mean, like, that's great. That is heaven on earth. Why? Because it literally was the place where heaven could be on earth. And then we messed it all up, right? But God said, look, Eden was cool. I created it from the beginning. Put you there. But even better than Eden, every single human being on the planet becomes Eden in the new vision that I have for you. Because if one place was good, then all of you is even better. And if there's rivers of living water, there's no way people can miss out because it's flowing through too many of you. I can be a portal every single place that you go. And if that's not powerful, I don't know what is. Man, God is so cool. Like, there's not a whole lot that you can really say. Like, if we would have created it, we would have, like, it would have messed up a long time ago. Like, it wouldn't have worked out. But God said, look, even though you're not perfect, I've got so much love for you. I actually have a plan that's not a backup plan. It was, Jesus was never a backup plan, by the way. God knew what was going to happen. But he said, look, it's not a backup plan. Because our relationship is so important, we can fix it. And when we fix it, it'd actually be better than it was. So now when you come to me, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Why? Because of Jesus. He's not the backup plan. He was the plan. 
He is the plan. He's the portal. You connect with him and then you become the portal. Why? Because Jesus said that you would do the same things that he did. And even greater. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit and we have one another. You were never meant to be alone. We see that from creation. He said he created a man. He said, no, he can't be alone. Not that man was flawed, but God himself is not alone. There's three. God the Trinity, there's three. He said, if I'm going to make them in my image, they have to have someone to be with. Well, guess what? There's three. There was the man, the woman, and God. In the same way that the Trinity existed, there were three, the man, the woman, and God. Man, it's so cool when you look at it like that. There's so much information in Genesis that we're really just like, well, did the stars come first? Who cares? He made you a portal. He made you be like Eden, and you want to know where he put the stars? They're in the sky. Just look up. <laughs> I mean, really. When you get down to it, what's the point? The point is not so that you can order or you can argue that, well, science says this. Well, the Bible says this, and they're not the same. No. He said, look, the whole point was that I'm trying to get to you. I could care less what you think about how it was done. That doesn't even matter. That's not the point. The point is my relationship with you is so great, I would do anything to keep that. And if you'll do it, then there's nothing that'll stop either one of us. If I've done my part, all you have to do is walk out your part. That's what he's saying to creation of all time. Now, I know that was a lot of information. It was a lot. <laughs> but man, there's so much more. Like even just in Genesis, that's just a very quick summary of chapter one, chapter two. And then I touched on chapter three. We didn't even get all the way through it. But Genesis, I want to encourage you that if you're going to study your word, to actually study it. Don't just read it and like, you can ask the Holy Spirit to interpret it for you. Yeah, absolutely. And he can. Because there's sometimes the way that it was written is not how we necessarily see it. You need the Holy Spirit to tell you what the emphasis is, what's the important thing. But in Genesis, Genesis was written in a really, really strange way for the Bible. But it's actually written, some of Genesis is written the way that other books are. And so it talks about in Genesis... There's a specific structure of the way that it's written, and you have point A, B, C, and then B and A. Okay, so you'll see this. A, B, C, B, and A. So if you draw a line through it, they mirror each other. And we know from just anything in life, if you repeat something, it's important, right? And we, we heard that a lot about the Bible. If it's repeated, it's important. In certain places of Scripture, yes. In other places, you need to look for A, B, C, B, A. Why? Because he's saying this, and the ancient Jews would have got it. It's why we miss Genesis so much. A mirrors A at the bottom. B and B in the middle-ish, they mirror one another. But this C topic over here is not repeated anywhere. It's the only time it exists. What is that saying? Well, in the way that they wrote that, that was the central idea and the whole point of why it was there. And in the middle of Genesis... In the creation story and into the fall, the very middle that's not repeated is the relationship that is formed and broken between humans and God. So what's the point of Genesis? It's not so that you can argue about creation and what God did. No, it's to find out relationship was the entire purpose of them writing the book from the beginning. And he said, look, I've mirrored these things so that you can see it. You have Satan's question and God's question. They mirror one another. And the way that people have the fruit on the other side of Jesus you know, the garden had fruit, right? You are supposed to display the fruit of the Spirit, and you have rivers of living water. If there's not a better picture that you are Eden, you can't find one. You have a river, you have fruit, and people are supposed to come to it and find rest because that is where God is. 
There's so much stuff that he wants to show you. And the whole point is so he can say, look, relationship with you is the key. There is nothing else that really matters. Everything else is just filler. Relationship with you is the key. I could keep going for a while, but I think we're good. (laughs) So if you guys would go ahead and stand up. Because I can say it all day long. And like I said, I've done some study and I've done some research. And it has made a whole new 